We'll get on. We'll go ahead and get on into the Word tonight, and uh, that's the main thing, anyways, is the Word of God. First John chapter number one tonight, and uh, we're going to start here and see where uh, the Lord takes us tonight. <clears throat> and mentioned a few weeks back while we were moving through the four-part series on why the Epistle of First John was written. I was hoping that God would allow us just to move through uh, through the entire epistle verse by verse, and with his help, that's what we're going to start doing. We're going to start tonight, and we're just going to go down through here and see what the Lord has for us, and I do desire your prayers. If you found your place, uh, 1 John chapter number 1, let's all stand in honor and reverence to the reading of the Word of God. And we'll read the first four verses here and then get on into the message. The Bible says in 1 John chapter number 1, in verse number 1, begins, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you would bless the reading of your word tonight. I pray that you would help us tonight, God. Thank you for every heart that is here. I pray that you would give each and every one of us something from your word. I have faith that you will. And Father, I pray that you would help us as only you can tonight. Father, we so desperately need your help tonight, God. And Father, I pray for a little while that you would give us some encouragement from your word, that you would strengthen us, God, from your word, that you will convict us tonight from your word. Word, Father, help us, God. We love you. God, I pray if there's one here that's lost, they'd be saved. If one's watching online, God, that is lost, I pray, God, more than anything, that they would be saved. And God, I pray that you would help us as a church. I pray that you would help those that are indifferent about you, Father. They, uh, God, help our spiritual condition. Help us to grow tonight through your word. And we love you. Thank you for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. And amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated tonight. And John here, uh, just to give you a little bit about him, John was born in Bethsaida, uh, which was a fishing village uh, on the Sea of Galilee, not far away from Capernaum. And uh, his father was Zebedee, and his mother was Salome. And uh, Salome was, the, of course, the sister of Mary, the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. And his brother, his name was James. And and it's the same James that was the very first apostle to be uh, martyred. And, uh, and so when we start looking at the life of John, when we see John and start studying it about him, we find that John was convicted, he was converted, and he was called by the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, I'm thankful that tonight the same Jesus and the same God that John served 
is the same God that I serve. He's the same God that is still calling and convicting and equipping men today uh, to go out and and uh, uh, work for Him, to preach for Him, to write for Him. And, and uh, I'm so thankful that God is still converting people today, convicting people today, and calling people today. And you know, the sweetest fellowship this side of heaven, and by... By the way, the theme of 1 John is fellowship. And it's the fellowship that comes from the life that we now have as born-again Christians uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that is the fellowship that the book of 1 John is talking about. And uh, John wrote five books in our Bibles today. The Gospel of John was written by him. Uh, of course, the epistles of 1 John, 2 2 John and 3 John were written by him, and then the Revelation was written by him. And uh, Dr. Roy Lawrence says this, he says, the gospel of John is the deity of Jesus in life and death. The epistle of John is the deity of Jesus in doctrine and experience. The revelation of John is the unveiling of the deity of Jesus in eternal glory. The gospel takes us back to the history of yesterday. The epistle faces us with the practice of today. The revelation carries us into the future unveiling of tomorrow's glory. All three, however, center their message in one common theme, the person of the divine Jesus Christ, which provides, he says, a symmetry and fullness in Scripture that should be another persuasion of its divine authorship as well as another encouragement to our faith. A lot of times people ask me if they're a new convert or they get saved or if I lead them to the Lord, they, they often ask, well, what should I do now? And usually I give them a Bible and I say, go to the Gospel of John and learn about Jesus. And uh, when we look at the Gospels there, you know, Matthew, Mark, and, and, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, they, they kind of run together on a lot of things. And some of the things in John does, but John, uh, John's Gospel is set apart from those others. It's pretty interesting. John makes much, not saying the other ones don't, but John makes much of uh, Jesus Christ and His divine, uh, his divine nature, his, his divinity and and so I mentioned just a minute ago that 1 John, or the epistle of 1 John, is all about fellowship. And so that it's with that thought tonight that I want to preach a little while on the thought of the foundation of fellowship. I mentioned already that this letter, it's written to the Christian. And it's a very practical letter. It's about, uh, it's about love. It's about fellowship. It's about how we ought to live. And uh, I tell you what, I love this little book right here. And so let's go ahead and dig in here in verse number one and see what treasures we can find. In verse number one, here's what we find. First of all, we find the eternal word made manifest. The eternal word made manifest. Look at what it says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. John 
I find this amazing. I find it interesting. He began this epistle in much of the same way he began the record of the gospel of John. Now, mind you, I'm talking about John and I'm talking about him writing, but let's not forget that he wrote these under the inspiration of God Almighty. Uh, which is one of the reasons why they all go together so well. That's why there's different themes. And, and it's an amazing thing that they go hand in hand with the other gospels. They go hand in hand with the other books of the Bible. As a matter of fact, they go hand in hand with books of the Old Testament that were written thousands of years before these were. You know why? Because it's inspired by God himself. Yeah. God merely used men the way that he does today. Isn't it amazing that an almighty God of this universe would choose to use man for anything? But he does. We are his hands and feet. So why is it such a problem? We've got this whole debate going on today about, well, that was a man that wrote that book. That wasn't God. And, And I just want to look at people and say, well, how... Read, think, look at how God chooses to work. Why is that an amazing thing? Why is it, such, why is it so far-fetched to say that God would speak through men and use their physical hands to write His infinite Word? You know what? Why is that so far-fetched? God chooses to use men. When He was ready to take His children out of Egypt, He used a man named Moses to go get them. All throughout history, uh, he used Abraham. He used, I mean, just going on down. He used Elijah. He used Elisha. He used Habakkuk. He used Obadiah, Jonah. He used Micah. He used Zephaniah. He used Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and James and, and, and all and the Apostle Paul. And he uses us today. So I always kind of chuckle a little bit when people get hung up on that. God in his divine nature breathed into these men and moved them, literally moved them to write what they did. But anyways, let me get back to where I was. John began this epistle in much of the same way he began the gospel of John. Here's what John chapter number one, verse one through four says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the life of men. And the life was the light of men. Now go back to where we're at in 1 John 1.1. What's it say? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. And so the eternal word came to earth and John, among others, personally experienced him. John is telling us that this eternal God became accessible to man in the most basic way, a way that anybody could relate to. You know what he became? One of us. How could we not relate to that? You know it? And uh, this eternal one can be known. And he has revealed himself to us. John had eyewitness evidence. He wasn't talking about a myth. He wasn't talking about a fairy tale. He wasn't telling a clever story here. He carefully studied the eternal one and he knew whom he spoke about. 
That's the point he's trying to get across here. This was a big deal because it, this debunked some false teaching in that day and, and uh, some false teaching that was making its way inside the church. And by the way, uh, this false, uh, false teaching is still alive and well today and it's something called Gnosticism. And the Gnostics believed and taught that, that though Jesus was God, he wasn't actually a physical man. And I... I don't know their point behind that. I guess it's kind of like the Jehovah's Witnesses saying, well, you know, they, they say that Jesus was a physical man and that he was a good teacher and he did good works and, and he was a nice guy, but he wasn't God. Well, the Gnostics, they say, well, Jesus was God, but he wasn't a real man. You know what? You get, you get none of that teaching out of the Bible. But yet that's what they believe. And, and here's the thing. John is here saying, no, you're wrong. I heard him. I saw him. I studied him. I touched him. He was real. What did John identify this eternal? See, at this point, you look in your Bibles at this point, he's not said it was Jesus. He's not said it was Jesus, but, but he's, he, what did John identify this eternally existent being who is physically present with John? And what does he say? He reduces it to a single simple phrase. And here's what it is in verse one, the word of life. The word of life. And by the way, I'm just going to skip ahead and, 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 and go ahead and say Jesus Christ is the word of life. Is he not? And that's what the Bible says. And uh, we know who the word of life is. It's Jesus Christ. He's the word of life. And the Bible is the word of truth. And so the word of life is God's word in the flesh while the word of truth is God's word in writing. We know that. John 1.1, again, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. If you skip on down around verse 14, you find out that the word was made flesh. And so... We know who it's talking about here. And so in Christ, God clothed Himself in flesh, while in the Bible, God clothed Himself in words. You know what I'm trying to get, you know what I'm trying to get across here tonight? This. It's word. And so many times I often think, I'm just going to be real with you. I just think sometimes, man, what a privilege it would have been to be a disciple. To, to be like John here, who, who can, can, could write and say, uh, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled. And, but you know, notice what he says, the word of life. What are we handling tonight? We have it. I'm, I'm telling you, we ought to make much of this word right here. We ought to make much of God's word to us. Yeah. I often think, man, wouldn't it have been amazing to, to sit down next to a fire with Jesus and talk to him? Well, guess what, honey? Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's just like being there. We have the word of truth tonight. What does the Bible say about Je Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life? Yes. 
You know, the Gnostics of that day and still today say, well, you didn't hear him and you didn't see him. You didn't look upon him. You didn't handle him. How do you even know he's real? Does that not sound like our world? You know what? They're right in the sense that I've never seen him with my eyes. I've never touched him with my hands. But you know what? I like what 1 Peter 1.8 says. Says, whom having not seen, ye love. In whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. How is this tonight? How is it that we can have this joy in something we have never even physically looked at or physically beheld with our eyes or physically touched? Well, it's real and he's real because his spirit has confirmed it in my own heart. Yes. Hey, look, I'm telling you, how do I know he's real? Because he's confirmed it. His spirit, you remember last week, yeah, it was last Sunday night, talking about assurance out of 1 John 5. I mentioned how that witness is with us and how his spirit bears witness inside of me. Yes, I know he's real. Look in verse number 2. He keeps on. He just, he just, he can't get past this. He says, For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. Hey, when did Jesus begin? I don't know. He's always been. You know, there's a lot of people in our churches today, they believe that He began, He was created when Mary got pregnant. That's not true though. Jesus is the Word of truth. He is the truth. He's the Word of life, the Bible says. And what does it say about that Word? It says that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. I'm telling you, there's a couple things that people are breaking down today that you can't break down when you go to the Word of God. And that is that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And that is the Holy Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we have people breaking those down all over the place and teaching something else. You better watch what you listen to, I tell you. But he says here, John makes it clear. He says, he says, in effect, I have met this man and I have personally heard him. You know what? We've heard from the Lord too. Right here. You want to know what God thinks about something? There it is. I've mentioned this and I, I so agree with it and I love it. Brother Barry Rackley preached and, and he said, you don't need a voice when you've got a verse. It's the same thing. Amen. You want to hear the voice of God? Read the Word. I've often, I, I heard a man preach one day. He said, you want to know what the voice of God sounds like? Listen to your pastor. You want to know what the voice of God sounds like? Sit down at your desk by yourself and read the Bible out loud. You don't need a voice if you got a verse because it is the Word of God. It is the voice of God speaking to us. I hope you all understand what I'm talking about there. We have heard from God. We have heard from the Lord. John makes it clear. We have heard from Him that we are to lay up our treasures in heaven. 
not on this earth. We have heard that we are to love those who hurt us and turn the other cheek uh, when smitten. We've heard that. Uh, we've heard His promise of eternal life by trusting in Him. We have heard Him command demons to leave those who were possessed and deranged. We have heard Him calm the storm and raging sea. We have heard His parables and His private words of wisdom and counsel. We have heard that He is the light of the world, the door of heaven, the good shepherd, the living water, the way, the truth, and the life. John could say, I have heard the heartbeat of Christ as I laid against His chest. Let me tell you tonight, we have heard from God. Jesus is no figment of an imagination. He's the Word of God made flesh for us. He is real tonight. Yes. Moving on in verse number 3. Or we see here not only the eternal word made manifest, but in verse 3 we find the fellowship of light. Look at it with me. It says, that which we have said. He, he, can't, he can't go on. He, he's tore up. Y'all know? Y'all ever been like that? You ever been like that? You just so, hey, you got that joy unspeakable? You sit here and try to explain something that's just blessing you and all you can do is stutter and talk in circles. This is what we're seeing. That's John. He's trying to explain it here. He just can't get all of it. He says in verse 3, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also... Why do we declare it? He says that we also... That ye also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. John says here that we declare what we have seen and heard. And the reason we declare these things is that Jesus desires for you to have fellowship with the Father. That is the whole point. The main purpose that Jesus came to this earth, it was not to do miracles. It was not to, uh, to have followers. It was not to, it was not to uh, just sit around and heal people and be a good teacher. He came to this earth to save sinners from hell. Luke 19.10 tells us this, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why so many times we find, it's interesting reading through the Gospels, we find so many times Jesus is, you can tell, He's aggravated. You know why He got aggravated? I figure He still gets aggravated today. You know why? Because everybody wants Him for a miracle. And they don't want Him as a master. They don't want Him as the sovereign God of the universe. They want Him for what He can do for them. You read the Gospels, you find out that He was aggravated because of that. People would come to Him just because of His miracles. That's not why you come to God. It's not why you come to Jesus. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. That was the point. Because Jesus has paid the cost of our sin, the way is open for God to forgive us and welcome us into His family. And we all need to be joined to God because we all have been separated from Him by sin. Every person that has ever lived besides Jesus has sinned and have been separated from God. That's why Jesus came to reunite God and man. He came to reconcile man to God. He came so that we might have peace with God. The Bible tells us for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. 
Through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, God wants to have fellowship with His creation and He has provided a means for that to happen. And Jesus Christ calls sinners from every walk of life. He puts His Spirit within them and gives them all something in common. I love it. You can travel this world over. You can find Christians in churches and have fellowship with them. Why? Because we all got something in common. Jesus Christ. Believers have something in common because we have someone in common. We've been saved. We've been forgiven. We are headed to heaven. And the only way to get into the family of God is by being born again. That's what John 3, 3 says. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's pretty cut and dry, is it not? When we put our trust in Jesus Christ, we are born, when we are born again, we then have fellowship with God. That is the entire point. We become acceptable to God. We are able to walk and talk with God daily. We can cast our problems upon Him. We can trust Him to meet our needs. We can uh, petition Him for strength and for wisdom and for guidance. We have love, peace, and life in Him. We are delivered from death, hell, and the grave tonight. So we see here the fellowship of a light. It says, <clears throat> it says that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Look in verse number four. Verse number four, we find the fellowship of joy. The fellowship of joy. It says, And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. I just preached on that about four weeks ago, talking about the first purpose we find in uh, that the first epistle of John uh, was written, and we see the fellowship of joy. Those who know Jesus experience the love and the joy of Jesus, and Christians are to be filled with great joy in our lives. You know, all of this, everything that we've read up until this point, everything we've looked at in this text up to this point, here is the point. It's so that our joy may be full. And how do you have joy? You have fellowship. Not fellowship with anybody, but fellowship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what verse 3 says. And joy tonight is the result of fellowship. If you have no fellowship, you have no joy. I mentioned, I mentioned last week, last Sunday night, I was preaching. I got hung up a little bit there in Psalm 51 and David and how he is, he is, he is asking. <clears throat> I was using it as an illustration there of, of assurance of salvation and eternal security. Uh, but hey, you think about it. What had David lost after that great sin or those many sins that he had committed there? He had lost his fellowship. He didn't lose his salvation. He prays unto God. He says he begs God to restore unto him the joy of thy salvation. He's talking about the fellowship. It's kind of like this. I've mentioned it several times. I know this is going to shock y'all, but me and my wife don't always see eye to eye. We have disagreements, if you can believe that. I, you know? But let me tell you something. Just because we disagree on something don't mean we divorce. Hey, I've even made her mad. I, that's an amazing thing. I know y'all, I'm, I'm looking at y'all right now. I can tell you can't believe that. 
I've made her mad before. And guess what's happened? She don't talk to me. I put it like this, the fellowship is done. The silent treatment is there. So what happens? We don't divorce because of that. What do I do? I eventually own up to something dumb that I did and say, I'm sorry, baby. Talk to me, baby. I need some fellowship. And we'll make amends and we'll go on. And things will be great until I do something dumb again. And so that's why what happens when you're not right with God? What happens when you sin? Well, it may not be the best illustration, but God throws a silent treatment our way. I just can't think of anything better or more intelligent right now. But it's not that you're not saved anymore. It's that you've lost fellowship. And when you lose that fellowship, you lose the joy that you once had. And in order to have joy, we have to have fellowship. Warren Wiersbe, he wrote this. He said, joy is not something that we manufacture for ourselves. Joy is a wonderful byproduct of our fellowship with God. The same joy of worshiping God flowed into the New Testament because Jesus is God. He rose from the grave. He conquered death. Christ is the source of joy for anybody that will trust in Him. The truths contained in this letter here should encourage all of us to rejoice. All Christians to rejoice. God never intended... Let me tell you, God never intended for His children to be dragging their chins on the ground everywhere they go. You think about it, our Lord suffered so that we might have joy. I mean, you think about it, you look, look at what we've read tonight. For the life was manifested, we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. It's talking about Jesus being made flesh. What did Jesus do? What did He come to do? He come to save His people from their sins. How did He save us from our sins? By giving His life for us on the cross that day. Then buried in a borrowed tomb. He defeated death, hell, and the grave when He was raised from the dead on that third day. What's the end result of all of it? So that you and I can have fellowship. Look at verse number 3 again. He says, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. He did all of that so we could be saved and we could have peace with God. We could be reconciled to God. We could have fellowship with God. And what is the end result of fellowship with God? It is a life of joy. Yes, hallelujah. Praise God, it is. So why do we walk around with our chins dragging the ground? Hey, man, I know I wouldn't get much on that, but anyways. And you know what? I got, I got some facts to back it up. Let me give you something here. In a recent survey about their faith, only 3% of Americans mentioned enjoyment of their relationship with God 
as their greatest source of spiritual fulfillment. Only 3%. Yeah. Let me tell you tonight, Jesus came that we might have joy. He wants our joy to be full. He wants our joy to be complete. He wants our joy to be full. That means not lacking in any way. Mm. John began with the beginning. He began with the eternal God who was before all things. He told us that this God was physically manifested and that He and others could testify to this as eyewitnesses. He told us that this God is the Word of life. The Greek word is logos. The Word of life. He told us that this God is distinct from the person of God the Father. He told us that we may have fellowship with God and that we are often introduced into this fellowship of God by fellowship of God's people. Did you see that back in, back in verse 3 again? That ye also may have fellowship with us. He's writing to Christians. He's saying, hey, I want you to have fellowship with me and I want you to have fellowship with God. And the only way you're going to do it is through His Son. John tells us here that this eternally existent God, the Word of life, who was physically present with the disciples and others and present for fellowship is God the Son named Jesus Christ. He told us that fellowship with Jesus leads to a life lived in fullness of joy. And we could say in these four verses that John gave us enough to live our whole Christian life on. Yeah. I kept talking about how, I mean, let's just read it all again here. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested unto us. So this is the second time he's trying to figure it. And then in verse three, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. That ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. In the expositor's commentary, one writer says this. He said, observe the note of wonder in the apostle's language. Speech fails him. He labors for expression, adding definition to definition to definition. You know why? <laughs> you just can't explain it all the time. Y'all ever tried to explain? I like what my daddy used to say. He said trying to explain how good salvation is and how good God is is trying to explain to somebody how good that banana split was you had. He said the best thing you can do is just look at them and say, you're going to have to go get you one. Then you'll know what I'm trying to say. The same is true with Jesus Christ. Oh, it's fun to try to explain him. It's fun to try to explain all this to people, but you know what? Most of the time, we end up doing what John's doing. We're just grasping. We're just trying our best, and we just keep saying, I mean, over and over. I mean, could you just picture? I, I'm, just, I'm just picturing John here. He's it's like a kid on Christmas. He's just so excited. That's how we ought to be. You know what? He had joy. He had joy unspeakable and full of glory. 
And that's the way our lives ought to be. And that's the point behind the book of 1 John, is to have fellowship with God. And that fellowship brings joy to our lives. We're going to keep digging through these verses, but tonight, how's your joy? You ought to have joy in our life. How's your fellowship with God? If you have fellowship with God, you ought to have joy. Maybe the reason why you're walking around dragging your chin on the ground is because your fellowship's not right. And if your fellowship's not right, you're in a good place to get it right. Let's all stand in by our heads. Close our eyes tonight. Miss Dawn, if you don't mind, come play softly.